What's up, family? Welcome back to the Stop Sinking Show, where we go from struggle to flow. As someone who values having a lot of choices, values freedom, values optionality in general, there are few things that I can say against having options. I lived my entire life to be able to never feel like I'm in a headlock, that I am susceptible to the whims of a person, an organization, or life in general. I've pushed myself my entire life to work in such a way that allows me to have as many choices, as many doors open as I would like. So although I cannot say many bad things about living this way, there are a few things to be wary of. Because the idea of optionality, the idea of the freedom of choice is in general, a double-edged sword, and it doesn't come without its perils. Let's talk about a few of those things now. Before getting into the meat of the discussion, I'll quickly mention some of the things that come to my mind about having too many options. One of them is that most of the times, the freedom that we chase is a facade. It's an illusion. It's not that we want freedom. What we want is the ability to pick our own constraints and not have those be dictated by our boss, our parents, our culture, authority, or society. On the most fundamental level, we do not want to be disconnected from these binds completely. We just want to choose what binds us. If you did actually have too many options without any binds at all, you would be crippled with anxiety and not know what to do. It would be confusing to prioritize, and you would have to have some other variable of constraint to decide on what value is, what to value Which brings us to my original point, that it is not unlimited options that you want. You want options with your own chosen constraints, but we need constraints. Too many options actually complicates things. It can actually make things worse. I'll give you some examples. Let's start with a silly one. I've talked to some parents recently about their kids being picky eaters and witnessed it in my own family. One parent actually told me he took the kid to a food therapist. And the problem is always with the leader of the house. It's like when Caesar Milan goes to try and fix misbehaving dogs, not to compare dogs and children, but to go and fix those misbehaving dogs, but he ends up having to coach the dog parents more than a dog because the problem is usually with the leader of the house. If your kid is a picky eater, part of it is your fault. The reality of that situation has probably gotten worse over time because you as a parent just want them to eat and will offer them options when they reject the dinner that was made for everyone. You don't have it in your heart to let them be hungry, so you give them every other option. Do you want this? Do you want that? I'll make you this. What about that? I'll make you that. Instead of expecting them to eat what was made for everyone for dinner that day, you have crushed their development probably by giving them too many options and are probably affecting their health because of your soft caving into their needs and what they want instead of what you have made that's healthy for the family. The food therapist would tell you what older generations would tell you when they had a lot more kids to feed and couldn't just cater to every one of those kids' needs is to starve the child. Let them remain hungry. Let's see how long they will go. Eventually, they will sit down and eat the thing that you have made. Today, tomorrow, a day later, how long will they be hungry? And I know that sounds cruel to you, maybe. You don't have the heart to see your kid hungry. So you take them out of their pain. But really, you also make it easy on yourself by giving them options. 
Like at least you can say to yourself that he will eat something and I won't feel bad when he's hungry. So you as the leader cave and provide options where there shouldn't be any. And you are now actually creating the kid to be more and more picky and fussy over time because they know they can just whine and moan and you will provide them with more options. But life might not do the same. And really, options is what's causing the issue in the first place. Let's talk about some serious examples. A lot of married couples, families in general, when confined together or irritated with each other in the habits of each other and having to coexist and compromise and be understanding and accommodating, a lot of them fantasize about this problem going away and being solved with more money, with more options. Oh, like if we just had a bigger house or more space, if I had more of my own space, I would be less likely to get annoyed with you by sharing this space with you by having to deal with your annoyances. And I will tell you, because I have seen it firsthand, if you cannot get along in a small room together, in a small, simple abode, trust me, if you did have the money or more options, it would only exacerbate the issue in your relationships. If you had the kind of money you are imagining, it would give you so much of an option that it would destroy your relationship. You could literally be in a separate wing then of your house or not have to deal with the person at all. Or worse, you can afford your own house or your own apartment or have a separate place to be away from your wife and your family. Maybe start another family. I've seen this in my life. I've seen this with my own parents. Money, optionality would only exaggerate your issues. They would not fix them. Not like you imagine it would. And I've heard couples wanting their own space. And it's, I'm not opposed to the idea, but it should not be because you do not know how to get along with each other or coexist in a healthy way. The extra space should just be a bonus and you actually want to be together because the extra distance will only make your problems worse, not better. And what it would do, like all these options I'm talking about, to get down to the crux of the matter and why this happens is that too many options take away the necessity for conflict, the necessity to have to rub shoulders and interact and have that friction so that you could resolve and need to resolve the underlying issues at hand. JP says there's nothing too small to fight about in a marriage. In any relationship, there are probably a hundred thousand little fights that you need to have to set things right with each other. And any situation that loosens the need to have those kinds of interactions to have the conflict will only continue to dig more and more of a hole in your relationship. The issue at hand is, a lot of times, conflict needs to be compelled. You need to be given no option but to have it. And unless your personality is a certain type of way, you probably don't go out of your way to resolve conflict or to lean into confrontation. Most of the times, we try to use our energy sparingly and keep things copacetic as long as possible. You don't believe me? When was the last time you and your wife were in a good mood and you used that good moment to bring up something heavy that you needed to talk about and discuss between you two? Chances are you will just sit there in that good moment and try not to ruin it. And then wait for a bad one to come around when it is least likely probably to be expressed in the tonality of resolution and then unload. Not helpful. You use that bad moment to compel you into confrontation, but it's not helpful. And you probably won't do it voluntarily in a good moment. 
we need to have enough heat turned up in the situations that we are in. We need to have the constraints in those situations properly, where we are required to be annoyed and frustrated by each other so that we get into discussing the important things that lie at the heart of those emotions that are coming up. It's probably not as simple as you leave your clothes lying here or you leave the bathroom sink dirty or that you don't come straight to the table when dinner is ready. It's more like, I don't feel appreciated by you or that you speak rude to me even when I'm trying to just care for you. There's something at the heart of the issue that requires communicating. Unless you have to deal with each other, you won't have enough heat generated to have those meaningful discussions. You will just live in the space, the good, peaceful space that you have created and end up alone as you drift further and further away from the other person. Unless you have the constraint of vicinity, you have too many options. You will not do the work because the stakes aren't high enough. So why bother? You don't have to rub shoulders anyway. You learn to live in your distance and they learn to live in theirs and you grow old and not have any companionship. Most conflict needs to be compelled. You need to feel the pinch and weight of the constraint upon you and then feel the need to find a path of peace within it. Anything other than that, these options that you were imagining, is actually running away from resolution. So if you want a path forward to peace, you must etch it in the darkness, in the difficulty, in the dirty, dirty. Or what seems like easy avoidance of conflict today will become a life you don't want to live tomorrow. I love you, family. Stay true always. I'll see you on the next show.